Welcome to Soul Talk, soulful conversations exploring who you are, why you're here, and how to live your most authentic life. My name is Coop Blackson, nationally best-selling author of You Are The One, transformational teacher, and your host. I invite you to subscribe to the Soul Talk podcast for weekly inspiration from me, where I will share with you some powerful ideas, thoughts, and practical life wisdom to help you live life more fully, freeing yourself from your past, reclaiming your power, and living your true life's purpose. You can also go to www.coopblackson.com, enter your name and email to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment. Let's get started with Soul Talk. Welcome back, folks. Welcome to another very special episode of the Soul Talk podcast. Uh, It's great to be back again. We've had some amazing uh, sessions and episodes of Soul Talk over the last few weeks. We are in the midst of, I think, an awakening right now on planet Earth. It's been going on. Uh, for many years, but I really feel it's coming to a tipping point right now with so much of what is happening in America, truly on the planet. And uh, I wanted to bring my guest on today. He's, I consider him a big brother, a dear friend. I've known him for years. He's the real deal. I'm sure most of you also know of him too. Um, I'm never really impressed about who people are in the public. I'm more impressed about who people are in the private and who this man is in private is just pure love, genuineness, uh, generosity, integrity. Uh, and I wanted to have him on to speak to some of these times and uh, just provide some perspective, insight and inspiration of what, what is going on and how we can all evolve and participate together. So folks, welcome to Soul Talk, my dear friend, the amazing, I don't know what to call you, bro. Being human, director, actor, activist. Uh, just I call myself a storyteller. That's storyteller. I, I, yeah, I've, I've finally, um, finally claimed that mantle of storyteller. It's what I, I train to do, and, and I'm blessed to be able to do it in a variety of different ways. Welcome. Um, LeVar Burton. Uh, yeah. Hey. Um, how, are, how are you, brother? It's good. Good to see you. There's a hell of a story happening right now. Yeah, man. No kidding. Yeah. Like, can, can you, like, just, like, I know you have some very interesting, just, I've always appreciated your perspectives, you know, because there's, there's so nuanced and a lot of depth to it from a lot of angles. So can you just, like, I would love to hear what's going on in your mind as you see what's happening, as you see yeah. people rising up, this mm-hmm. awakening happening, mm-hmm. as, as mm-hmm. you see what's happening. Just speak to it because you've been around, man. You've been, you've been on the ground. You've seen a lot. So, like, what do you see happening? What's going on? The, the possibility, the potential. Uh, give me your thoughts. Well, um, for, to give a little context, I was born in 1957. So I am literally a child of the 60s and 70s, right? Yeah. I was in the first grade when John F. Kennedy was assassinated. I was in the sixth grade when Martin Luther King and Robert Kennedy were assassinated in the same year, right? Um, I was in my freshman year of high school when Kent State happened and the National Guard opened fire on a crowd of protesters killing four, wounding nine. Um, The Vietnam War was the background for dinner um, from sixth grade until I, I left home to to go 
to seminary school in 1970, and and the war ended in 75. So just just before it ended, it, 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 just before I graduated, 1973, the draft ended. I was staring down the barrel of having to go to one of those induction centers. So I say that to say this feels familiar mm. where we are to me. Mm. And it's different. How? how? It's different, Coop, because um, it feels like we are reaching critical mass. Yes, there were, there were allies um, in the civil rights movement and the anti-war protests of the 70s were largely a student population uh, that was kind of mixed, um, but not really. <laughs> um, this feels like it's more than just black people. It's more than just young people. This is society responding to a deep-seated pain mm. that America has ignored for as long as it could. And this mm. pain can't be ignored anymore. People have been shouting long enough. And you know, um, Tupac said, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, people only pay attention when we start burning shit up, right? Mm. Um, and that's true. <laughs> As it turns out, Tupac was right, surprisingly mm. enough, not surprising. This moment feels like America is beginning to get it. I think that you know, and I think you and I have talked about this before. There is a link that goes from uh, the end of the Civil War and Reconstruction in the South. Mm. Um, and that movement of mass migration from the South by people of color to the North, mm. right? Um, and then you continue on through, uh, through Jim Crow and lynchings, right? Civil rights movement in the 60s, roots in the 70s as a moment, a point of awakening. Huge moment. Right? Yeah. Barack Obama being elected president of the United States, first black president, and then the retrenchment. You, you remove one of those links from the chain and the whole thing falls apart. So mm. we have been on a continuum, this mm. nation, right? We have been on a continuum that was founded in slavery and racism and the othering of people, right? But we've never dealt with it, right? Mm. America, America's never been honest about her own story, story. Wow. right? Wow. The story of America has been, well, whitewashed. It's so, been whitewashed. Look, for, for, for those that may not be like as aware, like, Okay. The story of America is a group of white Europeans who came to this country and stole the land from the people who inhabited it. And they, they subsequently killed all of those who resisted. Mm. Because wouldn't you if somebody was coming to take over your land? And then they imported a whole population of black people from Africa and forced them to do the work that they wouldn't do. And they built their wealth on the backs of these people that they managed to successfully dehumanize because how else are you going to treat people like that unless you create separation? And, and those 
practices mm. have their roots in the America that is today. Mm. And America has never dealt with that original sin. It's never dealt with its own complicity. You know, Malcolm said, sooner or later the chickens are going to come home to roost. Well, cluck, cluck, y'all. Cluck, cluck. Because by ignoring the pain and plight of black people and people of color, America has forced its hand. And this moment is the result of that sort of pressure you know, that's that pressure, that pressure. You squeeze that coal, you put time and pressure together, and it comes out a diamond, right? Mm. Time and pressure. So there is an opportunity in this moment. And I think what, what really is encouraging to me is the feeling that it's not just one marginalized group. It's everybody getting together. It's black people, it's indigenous people, it's people of color, it's, it's white people, it's, it's, it's trans people. I mean, it, we are all recognizing, beginning to recognize that none of us are free unless all of us are free. And that's, that's the thing, that's the key. That's the beginning of the end of oppression. None of us are free till all of us are free. Yeah. 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 So, so, so this time something feels different to you. Right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And the the energy, the energy, the the energy, I mean, when I see protests in London, in Paris, everywhere, all around the world. And I think it's remarkable because, you know, the the man who's occupying the Oval Office right now has really um, put a, a, it's given the rest of the world uh, uh, an opportunity to see America at less than its best. And there, there has been a certain amount of satisfaction in seeing this giant stumble and fall. Mm. And yet and still, the world has responded to this moment. And, and the goodwill that Trump mm. has seemed to squander, that goodwill seems to still be present for this moment and for this cause, mm. you know? Um, I think that's, it's pretty remarkable that, mm. that this moment, this movement has been so embraced by the international community. Yeah. Um, it, it just speaks to how different this feels. Yeah, yeah. You talked about the story and how, as a nation, we, mm-hmm. we, ha- we haven't dealt with it. We've put it under the, the rug and kind of kept going. And so, and so now we're in a moment where it's inevitable. Right? It's going to happen. What you put in the shadow has to come, at some moment, has to come to conscious awareness, has to come to awareness of the collective, feels like this is what's happening. How or what are some first steps as you kind of look back, you've been, You've, you've, been, you've been alive beyond this moment, so you've seen it before. How can we consciously deal with it, mm. you know, mm-hmm. from a place of awareness, from a place of integrity, from a place of, you know, because, yeah, okay, Tupac burn shit down, but 
I don't obviously I don't think in the long run that's going to be the solution. No, it it was it was certainly was the solution to getting uh, everybody on the same page. On the same page. So so, right? so how do we, how do we really deal with it? What, what's the first step? Mm. What's some first steps to like really dealing with it? Mm-hmm. Really dealing with it. Right. Um, I am telling all of my 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 melanin challenged friends uh, <laughs> and allies uh, to do their homework, and I'm not mm. going to do it for you. You need to do your homework. I know your history. I, 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 know, I know the history that was you know, fed to me in history books. It is important that you now educate yourselves on the history of black people in this society. Because when you do, it's, it's a tool by which you grow your sense of empathy. If you know the story of a people, then you can identify with, with, with them and they no longer become the other. You, see, you begin to feel your commonality. So I think first, first for my, my melanin-challenged brothers and sisters, do your homework, right? Read about the connection between slave patrols and modern militarized policing. Mm-hmm. Police were always there. They began in this society to go and catch black people and return them to the plantations. Have you, look it up. Look, look up the badge of a slave patrol member and, and the, 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 the five stars and how it's the same. It's the, same. It's the badge that cops today wear. The parallels are, it's just, do your homework. You got to do the work, put in work read up on read up on on the Tulsa massacre read up on black wall street read up on 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 jim crow which was i was born in 1957 they were still jim crow laws in effect when i was born black people were limited to certain public spaces and certain areas of public spaces they were denied access to other spaces this is in my lifetime, brother. This is when you were a kid. Yes. So let me ask you. So, so you're a kid growing up. You're, you're, you're what, eight? I know you, you were born in what, Germany. but you, born in Germany. But, but where, born, which city was this in, in the U.S.? When, when, well, my mother's from Kansas City, Missouri. Kansas. And she was determined to not raise her children, especially a black son, in that Midwestern environment. She wanted to get as far away from that as she could, and California became the land of opportunity in her so, mind. So you were in California. We so were in, in California. So in I, California, mm. as a kid, you're seeing this. Oh, well, when we went, when 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 we would visit in Kansas City, that's when I saw it. Wasn't that's when you saw much, it. That's when so there weren't signs that said "colored" and 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 white fountains, but there there were bad in homes. Kansas. They when you saw this, like, I'm wondering, like, you're 10, you're 8, you're 11. It's you know, hard to internalize. What, 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 do you, what, what, what do you think? What, what, what goes on in your mind as a kid, you know? Like, how do you feel? What, how do you talk? Tell them, I want to know. Because, like, look, I, I didn't grow up with that, right? I mean, I grew up where I didn't see these signs. I mean, I faced my own, you know, racism, what have you, prejudice. Mm-hmm. But I didn't grow up seeing signs like, I can't go there. Right. So right. that's, that, that's, that's, that's deep. 
it was a part of the education that came down from my, my, my parents and my grandparents about, um, about the way of the world. And the overwhelming feeling was, why? I, I, I don't understand. It's not fair. And so I learned at a very early age that life isn't always fair. Mm. It's just not. Not for black people. It's not fair. It's never been fair for black people in this country, in this culture. But it's your responsibility to stay alive, stay alert, watch where you are, who you're with, watch what you say, always behave in a respectful manner. And in the midst of all of that, the communication both spoken and unspoken was, you are loved and you are valuable here in this place. And you have value in the world in spite of information you are fed daily to the contrary. That is ultimately such a message of hope that black people have carried for generations, being able to tell their children that you have value in the face of a society that tells you constantly you are worthless, less than human. If you can continue to do that generation after generation, you develop an emotional and spiritual resiliency that is unstoppable. And so that's my inheritance. That's what I was given as a child by my family. By your family. Mom. By my family circle. Mom, mm. dad, grandparents, my mother's parents. Huge part of the foundation and formulation of, of who I am, how I see myself, how I see myself. I feel them, man, as you, as you're, I feel the spirits, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel the spirits, just the lineage yeah. Yeah. Through, yeah. through you. I say, yeah. you know, so, so, so here you are, right? You went to seminary, almost became a priest, mm. but then you go into like show business, mm. Hollywood. No, first the, the the first draw was was acting was theater arts. Theater. It was it was theater. It was theater. It was it was again. It was telling stories, right? And so, just to back up a little bit, and you and I have talked about this. Once what once I got what the ministry was all about, what being a priest was all about, which which was in in my view providing something valuable to people, which was a context for the spiritual aspects of their lives in the flesh, right? Just as a basic, that's that's what this whole religion slash spirituality thing is about. The whole context of of church as a community is to support the spiritual life of human beings in the flesh. Mm. Bam. And how that happened, as I observed it, was through storytelling, mm. right? And so that was one of the things that really drew me to the ministry was the power of story, right? The mass, the Catholic mass is a play, right? Mm. It's, the play, it's, it's, it's the story of the Last Supper. <laughs> it, it, literally, the story of the Last Supper is the Catholic mass. So 
having been drawn to that, once I discovered that mm, putting on that collar and living that lifestyle really wasn't for me, and I was looking for an expression that felt like it filled that part of me up, bam, theater arts was right there. And luckily, coincidentally, St. Pius had a very developed theater program. So mm. um, I slid right from one into the other. And, oh, and, then, and then ran with it, you know. I, I graduated um, from there and, and came right to Los Angeles with a scholarship to study theater at USC. And then it was on and popping. You know, I got roots as a sophomore. Well, what, was it, what was it like? I mean, you know, we're talking about racism. We're talking about Hollywood, mm. which at least in my perception tends to be very insider culture, mm. you know. And here you are, this young black man, African-American, you know, mm -hmm. I don't think you had Hollywood family, you know, no. No. in your roots, right? And, no. No. and it came here. And so what was it like for you? You know, what did you, what did you face? What was it like for you as an African-American man, as a black man in Hollywood, as a young man at, in the seventies, right? Which mm -hmm. is a little different than now, mm -hmm. but even more so then, what was it like for you? What were some of the things you faced? What were some of the challenges you faced? What, what was the racial uh, culture like, you know? And, and, and well, because then you, do, you, you do roots, man, which is, it's, 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 it's concept blowing. It's, it's, it's roots change the consciousness of the world mm. in many ways in terms of how black people are seen, you know? It, it really shifted. It was paradigm shifting. So It was. What was it like, you know? Luckily for, for me, the Roots experience came with lock, stock, and barrel, a built-in family and support group, right? Uh -huh. Because uh -huh. all of those actors <clears throat> took me in. My very first day as a professional actor, I worked with Cicely Tyson playing my mother. Dr. Maya Angelou played my grandmother. Oh, wow. I worked with Lou Gossett. I worked with Harry Rhodes. As, 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 as in my third year at St. Pius, I took a cross-country trip with a couple of, of friends of mine and one of the priests, Father Victor McAvoy. We drove from, from Sacramento to New York and back. When we got to New York, the whole purpose of the trip to, for me was to get to New York, go to the Imperial Theater on Broadway and see Ben Vereen in Pippin. Met Ben backstage. I waited two hours for that man to come down to the backstage door that night. And when he finally did, I met him. I introduced myself. I told him my name. I shook his hand. I said, I really hope to work with you one day. Um, he signed my Pippin program. We took a Polaroid picture. Remember Polaroids? Um, and in, let's see, four years, four years later, we were working in the same project and I met him again. Mm. So the Roots family, and that's what we called it, the Roots family, really helped ground me through that experience. Because I was always, throughout most of my childhood, um, the raisin, as we say, and the oatmeal. I was one of very few people of color. At St. Pius, uh, I was the only one until... Um, no, then, then two others came. Um, one kid was from Ethiopia, Daniel Amare. Um, so I was used to, be, and then when I got to USC, I mean, you, 
<laughs> USC um, was, uh, you know, it was like blonde central, you know. So back to the grounding I got from the Roots family really helped mm. me um, acclimatize to this town and, and its ways, the industry. Help, it gave me space, the space and grace to find myself um, in, 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 this, in this environment. This yeah, environment. I, I'm just wondering, like, because I'm sure you faced racism in Hollywood. Oh, my God. You know, because yeah. I'm curious what it's like to face that. And I'd love for you to share any experiences. You know, you have to mention names, but any, any, any experiences of what you faced. Oh, I, and, 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 and you can share names if you want. But, and, you know, how do you not give up? You know, how do you not, not, not feel? Because whenever I've spoken to you, I have never once, honestly, I've never told you this, never once, I've never once felt any bitterness from you. I, 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 and, I, and I've like, I've never once felt bitterness from you. I've never felt, I've never heard you really like take a victim stance in any way like they did me. You know, I, I've never like, I've only felt you bring positive energy all the time when we communicate. I mean, yeah, you point things out, but I've never felt any like, woe is me or, and I'm sure you felt racism in mm -hmm. the seven, in the 70s. I'd, I'd like to know like- 70s, years. 80s, 90s, 90s 2000s. 2000s. <laughs> <laughs> so so, so what, what did you face and, and how do you deal with it within yourself that keeps you going? Maybe, you know, someone got a role that you should have or, or you know, like how do you stay open, not jaded, you know, not bitter, positive, you know, your Lavar self and mm. still gracious. Like, how, how do you do that? I want to know. I'll tell you a story. This uh, happened in the, in the early 80s. Early 80s. Um, I was cast in a movie to play um, the manager of a rock star. Mm -hmm. And they had a, um, a real rock star uh, to play the lead character. The uh, film is called Hard to Hold. I think that's, that might even have been the, the title that they ended with, I'm, I'm not real sure. And I went to the, a cast read-through um, at, at the studio and met all the other cast members, was very, very excited. Mm -hmm. Got home from, from that, that encounter and my manager called. And she said, are you sitting down? And I said, why, what, what's, what's going on, Dolores? She said, um, you won't be playing the, the manager in the role because the artist's real management um, felt that it, it was inappropriate for a, a black man to represent them uh, in this fictional story. Now, that was certainly crushing news to mm. absorb but again remember i was raised by a people that informed me of the true value of who i am and once you pick yourself up off the floor the only sane response is to keep moving right to keep moving 
and to let it go because it yes there 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 is a choice in terms of response and anger and rage is certainly a part of it i have developed a way of compartmentalizing i will tell you coot that uh, that is part of my survival mechanism and you you put that stuff in a safe place and you keep moving now luckily thankfully at some point in my life i discovered that it was really important for me to find healthy outlets for that anger mm-hmm. and that rage right mm-hmm. because i realized that you know if i wasn't careful that would start turning that anger and that rage in on myself or let it out in very inappropriate ways and circumstances so you just learn as a black person in this country that rejection based solely on the by the of the color of your skin it's going to happen it's a part of life and for me the only sane response is to do my best to not take it personally when it is a very personal thing mm. and and you learn at a very early age to see it as a flaw in the character of the other person because mm. that really is the truth mm. right but what's hard about it is the power dynamic is so upside down right because we are told that you know right means might and good triumphs over evil but part of the lesson again is that life isn't always fair but it is real and as it is real one must deal with the realness what are some of the like if you were president <laughs> president lavar uh never never never, never but let's never. just let, let's dream for a moment if you were, uh, if, if you were going to be in politics or you know, that maybe never happens, but there's, ne- there's never... I, th- I used to think about it. I, I know. Used to, this I, is why used, I used to think that, you know, I would end up in politics. Uh, this is why I remember you, I remember you mentioned, mentioning uh, this years back. Yeah, no, let's just dream. Just for a moment. This is like, what okay. if? What, what, if? What, what, what are some of the, because you talk about the power dynamics, right? Mm-hmm. Are, I'm curious, well, like, what are some of the, ch- the, the systemic changes you would envision making to, to, to create a more equal, more enlightened society? Right? For me, what it's all, all the system. What are some of the changes you would make? Redistribution of wealth. It's a redistribution of wealth and resources. Um, How specifically? What, is that? what does that look like? Well, right now, we've, we've, it's, I think what I would want to do is to look at where we spend most of our money as a country and start moving those pots around, taking from pots and putting them, taking from one pot and putting it in another. We spend an inordinate amount on weapons and, and weapons of war um, every year. Uh, I would take a lot of that money and put it to education and social programs uh, and lifting people up. See, <sighs> black people, based on racism have been shut out of the economic dream and again literally do your homework look up redlining right Mm -hmm. which was the the process of literally drawing a red line on a map for companies to 
not give loans to people inside of that circle because of the racism, because of the prejudice involved. And so when the middle class was being built in America post-World War II, Black people were shut out of that opportunity to build what has now become generational wealth. Black people don't own anything in this society, right? And for those who say, well, why don't you just pull yourself up by the bootstraps? Well, how do you expect for that to be possible? Mm -hmm. We have been historically and systemically shut out of being able to take advantage of those programs that were available to white people, right? And then <laughs> you get to the 70s and you get to Reagan and the, and the war on drugs, and then we flood the inner cities with drugs and then arrest people mm. of color and poor people in inordinate numbers. And then, you, so you lock up all the black men and say, well, look at that. The black community, there's no men around. There, there are all these fatherless families. Well, what do you expect? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So making those connections between public policy, that intent and the outcome, it, we have to take the blinders off, man. Mm -hmm. we, we have to open our eyes. And, and it really feels to me like this is a moment, as you said at the beginning, this is a moment of awakening. America is taking mm. the blindfolds off. It's mm. and and it's and it's voluntary. It's it seems to be voluntary. We, we're not having to go and rip the blindfolds off, like police have been doing bandanas and then spraying mace. No, people are taking those blindfolds off willingly and and actively acknowledging. Wow, I have been blind. Mm. I have been asleep. It has been. See, it has been convenient for me to not notice. Wow. Privilege to me is the ability, is, is, is the luxury of not having to think about race. That's what white privilege is. Has nothing to do with how you came up, how much you've got, how much I don't have, or how much I have and how much you don't have. People tell me all the time, well, you're a Hollywood actor. You make a lot of money. How can you tell me I'm, I have white privilege? Mm. What do you say? Privilege is about not having to think about race. And you don't. I do. I can't afford to not think about race every day mm. of my life. Mm. I can't afford to not be aware of the disparities in the society between black people and white people. Mm. My survival depends upon it. Yours doesn't. Mm. That's what I say. Mm. Redistribution of wealth. Yes, Number redistribution one. of wealth, absolutely, okay. with an emphasis on education. Education, what with else? A de-emphasizing de military, right? And, and emphasizing education. Mm. Um, and then it's just a matter of living up to those ideals upon, you know, that, that we believe um, we hold in common as America, right? Mm. Um, a free and equal society. So that it's not just lip service, that we actually make good on the promise of the experiment. Mm -hmm. but, we, but again, back to none of us are free, unless what? All of us are free. What role do you feel the media has? 
because you're, you know, you're a storyteller, right? Mm -hmm. And I think the media was so powerful, bro. Mm -hmm. Just spins images, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think it's for many years, it's spun an image of black people, spun an image of certain groups of people. And before you know it, everyone perceives certain groups of people a certain way. Then we perceive ourselves that way and live that, that out. And so, how do, you, how do we change some of mm-hmm. these mm-hmm. media narratives, you mm-hmm. know? Because, because I'll be honest, even, you know, it saddens me to even hear some media from black people that is self-denigrating, mm-hmm. you know? You know? And, and so how do we shift mm-hmm. the media narrative mm-hmm. to create a different story? Because right. I'm like, maybe we need to defund some of the media outlets that are spinning certain narratives and and painting a certain Mm -hmm. position. So I don't think anybody ever really anticipated the, the, um, the 24 hour news cycle that, that we are currently living through and the need to create Mm -hmm. programming to fill that 24 hour news cycle. Um, My response to that is, is storytelling as a counter narrative, right? And you're beginning to see that, uh, that counter narrative um, in in big ways, not necessarily in the news that is produced, but in the popular culture um, mm-hmm. in general. Mm-hmm. And uh, a good example of, of that um, is Black Panther, right? It's counter programming. You see, and it's not. See, here's the thing: it's not people's fault, black and white, that they have a negative view of people of color, because that's what we have been fed. Yes. for 200 years, yes. right? We have been fed the narrative that black people are the other, that they're dangerous and that they need to be policed, mm-hmm. right? For our safety, they need to be policed. And it's not your fault if you have bought into that story. Mm. But it is your responsibility to now educate yourself. Mm. Because once that light goes on, can't go back and sit in a dark room. And this is a moment of enlightenment. This is a moment where the light is coming on in people's hearts and it's coming out of their eyes and they're seeing more clearly than they ever have before about the true nature of the evils of racism. The true story of America is finally being revealed. We've tamped it down. We've suppressed it for so long. I can't even watch. I used to love Westerns. And I would always, I I mean, when I was a kid, I rooted for the Cowboys. Then when the light came on for me, I couldn't. I was rooting for the Indians. And the Indians always lost, man. Right, 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 right. The myth of American exceptionalism as embodied by the Cowboy ethos is, is just that. It's a myth. It's a myth. There's nothing noble in branding an entire people savages and taking what's theirs and calling it manifest destiny, some sort of of edict from God that, that we come and do this. It's just a justification for greed and money. Mm. Mm. 
because that's become the deity in America, money. Money has become God in this country's culture. And, and we need to, we, we need to de-emphasize the importance that it has taken on in our lives and how we get there, Kud, I do not know. Need some stories, brother. We well, need, we, we need, need to remind stories. ourselves. That's why I'm in this business. We need to rem- continue to remind ourselves of who we are, who we are, why we're here, and what am I going to do to contribute in a positive way to this mm-hmm. common human journey? I'm saying these days, do what you can from where you are. This period of 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 separation and isolation has really caused us to need to continue to feel effective and how do we do that by doing what we can from where we are yeah right yeah yeah and we can all do our part we can all do something we We can can all do something even if it's just picking up a book and taking a look like we said in every episode of reading rainbow because from my perspective and point of view if you are literate in at least one language right Mm. You are free. One language, I, uh, one language other than English? No, just oh, one language. One if you're language. literate, in, if you can read and, and, and write in, in at least one language, you're free. Because what that means to me is that you have the wherewithal to educate yourself, right? You do not have to take anybody's word for it. And I said that in every episode of Reading Rainbow too. but you don't have to take my word for it. Mm. You can go right to a source of literature and find out for yourself whether or not what that man on TV is saying is true or not. Mm -hmm. You can discover and discern for yourself what is right, what is true, what is factual. We've gotten pretty lazy because we've just allowed other people to define our realities for us. Mm -hmm. We've given over that power to politicians, to broadcast networks. Yeah. We have to take back our power as a people. And that's what I see happening on the street. It begins, and it has to be, it begins mentally, right? And then it moves into action. And that's exactly what we're seeing going on in the streets right now. People are taking action and, and allowing their feelings to be made manifest in physical action, physical activity. Yes. Yeah. If you had like, I don't know, 10, 10 minutes with, with the president, Donald Trump, <laughs> in a room, just you and, you and him. I decline. No one else. But let's just, I decline. You, you I decline. decline. I decline. Why I not decline. take me? Why not no, take there's me? nothing I can tell this man. There's nothing I can say to him that's going to change who he is. Nothing. I, that would be a waste of my time, and I'm not about that. Mm. I genuinely believe that, Coop. You would just... You wouldn't, even, you wouldn't even take the meeting? No, not at he all. Said, he says, I want to meet with you. What for? Why? <laughs> Why? Why? Isn't there some value in a, di- in a dialogue? There, and- it wouldn't be a dialogue. I don't believe that man is capable of a dialogue. That man is not capable, in, in, in my opinion, of doing anything but thinking of himself. 24-7, 365. Mm. I, I would be concerned with, if, 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 I, if, if I got the invitation, I would be concerned with how does he want to use me? Uh-huh. What's his agenda here? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No desire to participate. 
There's, no, sh- there's nothing, there's nothing I can do to impact this man's life mm. and his way of thinking, his way of behaving. So how do we, I guess, I guess my question is, how do we shift, okay, mm. those folks, and it could be a Trump, it could be a racist, it could, whatever is the counter mm-hmm. of our position. How mm. do, how do we how do we affect change? How do we change? How do we change those people? Because, I mean, we're preaching, at least, you know, I'm with you, you know? Mm-hmm. Many times we preach to the choir, but mm-hmm. how, how, how do we then affect change for someone who seems on the total opposite extreme? You know, there's this guy, I forget his name, Daryl something, who goes, you know, you might know his name. He goes and meets, he goes into Ku Klux Klan meetings. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, there was a whole movie on him, Daryl. Mm, uh, mm-hmm. And mm. he goes and he's like, Black, yeah, Black turned, Klansman. Mm-hmm. T- turned around like, mm-hmm. I don't know, 300, however yeah. many, five, 500 Ku Klux Klan people. Yeah, and right. that's like, he's going into having the dialogue. Yes, he is. Thought, yeah. Wow, that's, that's I mean, powerful. That's, that's, in, that's intense. That's, that, that's, that, so that is. how, from your perspective. How, but that's his calling. That's, that's his calling. That's what he was born to do. I don't believe I possess those skills. I don't think I have the, <laughs> I don't have the, the nature, the character, the, the vocabulary, but he does, yeah. right? And that's why he's brilliant at it. Again, it comes back to doing what you can from where you are. We are all born with a gift. You know this. Mm-hmm. You're all born with a gift. We have all come into this life with a purpose, a solular purpose in mind, right? Mm-hmm. And that purpose is what we are supposed to discover as, as we grow up and mature. It's our responsibility to discover why we're here. And then it's incumbent upon us to have the courage to deliver that gift to the world. And courage is the word that I use very purposefully because it can be intimidating. It can be scary to be in the moment and say to somebody, you know what, that was really insensitive. And I would love it if you could think of a different way or not say anything like that at all again in my presence because it makes me uncomfortable and it just doesn't feel good you know it can be uncomfortable to stand in your power it can be very scary and it takes practice i'm still practicing how to do that in my life how to stand in my power and not cower in the face of any sort of perceived judgment right really yes of course like, like, it's a process me, can you give me an example like i'm curious where like where, you know like where, where is a moment where you're like oh i have a moment here and, and you stood in your power I love i'll it. give I'll, I'll give you i'll give you one there is um you know how in in um a, a way of of showing affection it, it, you know to children is to pat them on the head or rub their head now when I was a child, one of the things that I was taught was that I had autonomy over my body and that I should not be comfortable with anyone touching me that I didn't assent to or give permission for, right? Mm-hmm. And so there have been times 
a couple of instances very recently in my life where where white men have touched my head. Okay, touched your, touched your head. Touched my head. Yes, mm-hmm. which to me is is not okay. This was just uh, affectionately. Affectionately. You know, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. However, I have had to back up and say to them, this is not okay with me. And I've even gone so far as to explain to them why. Not that I owed any sort of explanation, but I have, I have shared with them that the sense of being patronized, called boy by white mm-hmm. society, and being talked down to has been translated at least interpreted through for me as that that gesture of assuming that it was okay to touch me on the head, right? Mm-hmm. It was a violation of my sense of body autonomy. And there was a time in my life when I wouldn't have said anything. Could. Right, right. But I am, you know, I'm practicing standing up for myself. Mm. even yeah. at this age it takes courage it, it, does, take courage. it, it courage. does take courage it does take courage in those moments where it's easier to just oh, let that go I think when, when we let things go and we kind of violate ourselves yes it, it, we, we, it's, it's like an internal self-betrayal that yes. we, we, we make a withdrawal from our own internal power bank you know and even if no one knows the depletion is still taking place. It's still there. Yeah. It's still there. Yeah. Wow. The minimization, you know, the, the, the denial of self is, mm-hmm. is a really, it's a, it's, a, it's a dangerous thing. You know? if, for, for the person that might be, and I have a few more questions for you, LeVar, then I want to let you go. I know you're a busy man. Well, there's a lot going on these days. I'm loving, I'm loving this conversation. <laughs> yeah. for, 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 the, for the person, if there's someone who's, who you've given a few suggestions, but they might be thinking, what can I do? What can I do? You know, I'm just, I'm not LeVar. I'm not Martin Luther King. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm just a housewife. I'm just a, a salesperson. I, I don't know. Okay. Educate yourself. Okay. Educate yourself. Right. Do a little self-examination. What, what, what can they do to, to participate in this awakening? Okay. Protest. That's one. They're like, well, I don't want to protest. Uh, they might say, I have elderly parents and I, I can't go out and protest. I have kids. So g- g- provide some like leadership for us in terms of what can, what can each person do in this time to, to be a part of the evolution that's happening as leaders. Here's something. And it involves a little rigorous self introspection. Just sit down and take inventory of some of the, situations, some of the areas and aspects of your life where you don't have to think about race. Mm. And just note, make note of them. Mm. Just make note of the areas of your life and, and instances where you just didn't have to think about it. And if you're the sort of person who says, well, I don't see race, mm. that's bullshit. Because what you're saying to me is I don't see you. Because I'm black. I'm a black man, and it is obvious. Mm. So if you're saying to me I don't see race, what you're telling me is I don't see you. Mm. So let's get off of that, right? Because that's designed to make you feel good. 
And its impact on me is exactly the opposite. So let's just get real, okay? I don't want you to get real with yourself. I want you to really examine your heart. Put on, put on that heart lens and look at your life and identify some of the places where you are unconsciously or consciously able to take advantage of being white in this society. Again, empathy for the other is the language that is going to continue to drive this movement forward. What you're seeing on the streets all around the world is empathy in action. Because people have said, I feel your pain, brother. I feel your suffering, sister. And even though we are of different colors, I'm going to stand up for you. I'm going to stand with you. Because none of us are free unless all of us are. Hmm. Is there any message you would give people of color, black people? people Keep on keeping on, baby. (laughs) You know, it's in all of the songs. It's in all of the spirituals, right? One day. We're going to get there one day. We're going to get there one day. You know, and we, we, we talked earlier about that powerful sense of hope that black people have about life and, and, this, and, and this realm, right? That it may not be so good here, but in the next life, you know, we're going to get our reward. And there has, uh, over time, been a, a, an awareness um, that has sort of taken hold that, well, wait a minute, no, we, we need to get ours here because we deserve it, right? And so... Um, my message to black people is just keep the faith, keep the faith, and keep on moving, one foot in front of the other. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. And this time, feels a little bit different. Things different. Yeah. 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 Brother, you know, it's been a beautiful conversation. I feel like we could talk forever. I could talk and, with uh, you for <laughs> hours and hours. Just, just as, as we wrap, you know, the reading rainbow that you – it's really something inspirational, something mm. so important because I think early childhood development and education mm-hmm. is critical. Absolutely. And so is there anything just as we wrap, like how do we raise healthy kids? How do we, what, what messages can we give the children, you know, for parents listening to raise them in more evolved ways with a sense of self-esteem and, 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 and internal sovereignty, you know, and mm. mutual respect for ourselves and each other, you know, like from what you've seen from your work, uh, working with kids and, you know, education, like give, guide this, us there. This is a, this is a classic quintessential teaching moment we are living in right now. And it is really important to talk to your children about what's going on. Talk to your children about the history of this nation. Talk to children about racism and bigotry and prejudice and empower them to be social justice warriors. Empower your children to operate from that naturally empathic place inside of them. Empower your children to be able to discern right from wrong in their behavior and in the behavior of others and empower them to speak up 
and speak out. Amen. Amen. Empower them. <laughs> well, folks, you heard it. The amazing LeVar Burton, my brother, inspiration, big brother, uh, just sharing the love. I love you, too. LeVar, thank you for just, yeah, just, just being here. Anytime. Anytime. A beautiful conversation, sending you much love. And keep telling stories. And uh, that's why I'm wait, here. Can't wait to see you soon. <laughs> Folks, I, uh, I told you this was going to be an amazing interview. I would love it if you just send me an email, coopblackson at coopblackson.com. Let me know your, your key takeaways from today's episode. We're living in amazing times and we can all participate in the awakening that's happening right now. Uh, so, uh, Share this episode with anyone in your life, everyone in your life that you feel would be inspired. And I look forward to connecting with you in uh, next week's Soul Talk. Much love. If you've enjoyed this episode of Soul Talk, please do share the podcast with all of your friends. Let everyone know and make sure you download Soul Talk today. I'm looking forward to next week where I'll get to share more inspiration with you. Meanwhile, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, or social media. You can find out more about my work at www.coopblackson.com. If you feel ready to take your life to the next level, join me at my exclusive event in Bali, www.boundlessblissbali.com, where you can find out more and apply. Also, make sure to remember to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment at coopblackson.com. Sending you all big hugs and love now.